how did I end up here? Uh, I ask that myself every time that I get the opportunity to stand on this platform and share uh, God's word with every single one of us. And maybe you're asking that question too, how did I end up here? Maybe in this church or maybe in the position or as a father, as a mother, whatever it may be, how did you end up here? It's a question that Cody was asking himself. His name is Cody Huff and he was living in this park right near a church. He said, how did I end up here? From being on ESPN nearly every single day because he was one of America's best bass pro fishermen. And then with not only having this great gift of fishing, he also had something that plagued him, this addiction to drugs. And it cost him his savings. He ended up selling his house so that he could give into this addiction. He sold his boat, he sold his car, and he sold his, Har his Harley. And he had nothing. He'd lost his family, lost everything, and he's living in this park and asking himself, how did I end up here? While he's asking himself this question over the months, someone walks up to him with a sandwich in their hand and says, would you like something to eat? He says, yes. So they give him the sandwich. She introduces herself. She says, my name is Michelle. What's your name? He says, Cody. And she says, well, I hope, I hope that this food gives you something. And, and I'm actually from a church called Central Christian right here in Vegas. And we have a place where, if, where you could take a shower if you need a shower. And we just love to open our church to the community. And he thought to himself, he said, I, I, I don't want to go to a church. Because he assumed, like many of us do, if we walk into the church, they're just going to see who we used to be, not who we are now. They'll just judge us for everything that we've done in the past. And then they'll say, look at you. How could you be a person that we welcome you in here? But he thought about it for a few days. And he walked in on a Sunday morning. And guess who was the first person he saw? Michelle. Michelle said, hi, Cody. She looked at him for a second and said, you look like you need a hug. And Cody said, you wouldn't want to hug me because it's been three months since I've had a shower. And even the people he was living near actually pushed him out because the stench that Cody had was a little worse than the other ones. So Cody says, you're not going to want to hug me. He would go on to say he's not sure if she heard him or if that she just didn't care, but she embraced him. He said it was at that moment he realized that God is alive and he sees him as a real person. You see, for, for Cody, as Michelle walked him into the service and sat down and heard a message all about this goodness of God that we just sang about, he gave his life to Jesus and now he goes out and he's, he's ministering to those people he used to live with. He's giving them sandwiches. He's teaching them about the Bible. He started a Bible study for this exact community. He went out. He later on got married, started a ministry, owns a business of his own, all because of one word that Michelle was able to share with him, mercy. That's what we get to talk about today, the one word that changed someone's life, mercy. In fact, it's something that the prophet Micah would even say, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. This is what God is telling us, what is good. And what the Lord requires of us, here is what our requirements are. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with you, God. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. Well, why does all of this matter? What's the, the reality of our faith should, should be acted out in a God-likeness. If you truly believe God is, what we've been talking about this entire series, that he is love, he is holy, he is our protector, he's wise, he's rich. If we believe all of this about God, why would I not want to look like him and love the things he loves? Mercy. Starting each week in this series, Flash Theology, about this idea, this attribute of all that God is. And this week, God is merciful. 
One of the things that every single one of us need. And all throughout scripture we see it time and time again that God is merciful. It says in Isaiah that he longs to be gracious and shower us with his mercy. Ephesians 2.4 says he is rich in mercy. In Lamentations it says that his mercy never ends. God is merciful from cover to cover in scripture. He wants to share his mercy with us. Why do we need mercy? It's because we mess up. What scripture calls sin. We miss the mark. We want to look like God, but we miss the mark. We run from him. We do things that we're not proud of. Micah goes on. We just read Micah 6, 8, but in chapter 7, this prophet goes on and would say, who is a God like you? Out of everyone in the, in the universe, who is like you that pardons sin and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance? He goes on, because he, he can't even contain himself. You don't stay angry forever, but you delight in showing mercy. Whatever you think about God, if it's not this, my prayer is we can get this right today. That God delights in showing us mercy. Not looking at you and frowning upon you, but smiling upon you and offering mercy towards you. The prophet continues and says, you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. That word hurl literally means to eject. Like if you're a fighter pilot and you eject out of the seat. You just eject just to take it off of me. Get me out of here. That's what God does with your iniquities, with your sin, with the wrongs that you've done. He takes them from you, removes the very sin that was trying to kill you and enslave you and throws it into the depths of the sea. See, if we were reading this with ancient Near Eastern eyes as, as the, the Hebrew culture would actually, would actually read it, as if we were to read it today, we would realize that when they say the depths of the sea, they're talking about this place called Sheol, which is the realm of the dead. So God, you take the thing that was trying to kill me and you throw it into the sea and you kill it. That's what God does. That's the mercy that God has for us. And that's our flash fact for today. Each week we've been talking about this flash fact, typically a Hebrew word or a Greek word. Today is this beautiful Hebrew word, chesed. You got to gurgle a little bit. Chesed, right? Let's say it with me on the count of three. One, two, three. Chesed. Wipe the back of your neck because someone just chesed it on you, right? Chesed. This is the idea of mercy, a loyal love, faithful kindness, compassion. I like to define it as a unique relationship where going beyond expectations is expected. That's what God does with us. He says, you want my love, I'll give you even more than that. You want my forgiveness, I'll give you even more. God, I want your chesed, I want this unique relationship, this covenant relationship forever. Charles Spurgeon, a great author and pastor, he would say this, God's mercy is so great that you may sooner drain the sea of its water or deprive the sun of his light or make space too narrow than diminish the mercy of God. We've been going through this book, Flash Theology, written by Jenny Randall and uh, Braden Brookshire. Braden's at our Ocean Beach campus. And, and I, if you want the book, it's $15. We have them at the Blue Tent. You definitely should pick it up. But I want to read a quote out of the book today. So powerful. It says this. Let's think more about that for a second. This is on page 127. He's speaking of mercy. Imagine you have a red plastic cup in your hand and you go to the beach to gaze at the ocean. Then picture dipping the cup into the ocean and filling it with water for every single sin you have ever committed. Whew. I don't know about you, that's, that's a lot of cups for me, right? Braden goes on, he says, and add a couple hundred thousand extra scoops for the sins you've committed without even acknowledging. Come on now. Really? You could keep dipping that red plastic cup into the water until you passed out or until you died from old age. And do you know what? 
you still wouldn't get even close to emptying the ocean of water. You would sooner drain the ocean of water than you would exhaust God of his mercy. That's what we get to experience today. God is merciful. But just how great is this mercy of God? How, how, why should we even talk about it? Why should we even encounter this grace? Why should we ask for it? What should we do with it? Well, we're going to open up our Bibles to the book of Jonah. And if you have your Bibles, open up with me to the book of Jonah. And boy, do I have a whale of a story for you. <laughs> now, I just want you to get the magnitude and the scale of the story that we're about to read. Okay, I'm done. I'm done fishing for laughs there. <laughs> I know, I know, I got you hooked. Okay, no, I really am done. I really am done. Uh, book of Jonah, open up the Bible halfway, you'll get to Psalms or Proverbs. Keep going to the right, you'll get to Isaiah, which is the largest book in the Old Testament. You want to keep going, you're going to eventually see a book called Hosea. That's the start of what we call the Twelve. Uh, it's actually called the Minor Prophets, the last 12 books of the Old Testament. They're called Minor Prophets, not because of uh, their effectiveness, but because the books are very small. In comparison to like Ezekiel or Isaiah or Daniel, um, these books are, are a little smaller. And so we're going to be in Jonah. And how many of us know the story of Jonah? You've heard of Jonah? And it's always Jonah and the? Well, okay, there's four chapters, 48 verses in the book of Jonah. There's only two verses that talk about the fish. Why do we just remember it with a fish? There's so much more in this book. So my, my prayer is today that I could unvegetales all of us when it comes to the book of Jonah. Right? I believe God wants to share something with us that he wants us to discover about himself. Every time you read scripture, you should be asking, what is this saying about God and my relationship to him? That's what we're going to read today. So starting in Jonah chapter 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. You see, God will continually call Nineveh a great city and then talk about its wickedness. It's a great city because of its size and its importance. We have to think this is a time when the Assyrian Empire is really on the rise. The Assyrian Empire would later go on and keep captive 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, they were very wicked. They did some awful things. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But God is saying go to this great city because he cares about cities. Why? Because people live there. And God cares about people. Verse 3. But Jonah does what we do. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. You see, Jonah's in Israel. Uh, he needs to go northeast, which is over here for me, but flipped for you. Right? He, goes, he needs to go northeast, but he heads west to Tarshish. He's supposed to go to modern-day Iraq, and he goes to Spain. It, he goes to Tarshish because this is the most secluded, isolated area to the, of the known world. This is essentially as far as he possibly could go away from God. He runs. And we all run from God, don't we? We all have. In fact, that's our God story. All of us have a very similar God story or testimony. We ran from God, we ran to God, now we run with God. That's your God story in a nutshell. So Jonah starts running. Maybe you came in here running. Maybe you plan to leave here in a moment running. Maybe there's something in the running that we should pay attention to. In the original Hebrew, it says, arise and go to the great city of Nineveh. Watch what happens. Jonah goes down to Joppa. Because whenever you run from God, you have to go down. Where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, because when you're running away from God, you will always have to pay. Always. When you run with him, he pays for everything through the cross. He paid for the fare, went aboard, and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. This is his resignation from the office of the prophet. He says, you know what? God, you've been talking to me, but I'm done. He just resigns on the spot. 
We've done this before. You have a job and you're like, if I have to talk to Sarah from accounting, I'm going to quit. If she, if she makes me talk to her again, I'm quitting. And then it happens and you're like, well, maybe I won't quit just yet. Right? This is what happens. Jonah says, God, I don't want to hear it anymore. I'm done. So he runs. He resigns. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Whenever you're running from God, there's, there's two storms that will happen. You see, Jonah wanted to go to Tarshish away from God. That's the first storm that God will often send when we're running is a storm that doesn't give us what we want. And I'm thankful that he sends that storm. The second storm is more dangerous. It's a storm that comes that gives us exactly what we want. Imagine if God were to say, you know what, Jonah, you want to run? See ya. That's not the God we serve. Verse 5, all the sailors were afraid and cried out to their own gods. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. They said, I don't care about my paycheck. I just want to get back home and see the kids. But Jonah had gone below the deck. He continues to go down where he laid down sleeping. Why is he asleep? Because when we run from God, we're asleep and we're walking dead because we are missing the calling that God has for us. So he's asleep. The captain goes down and says, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe someone will listen to us. We're calling our gods, the fish gods, the sun gods, and the moon gods. You do something, Jonah, instead of just sleeping. Then the sailors get together. And they're like, hey guys, it was just us. Water was fine, right? Then Jonah came on board. Do you think maybe he's the problem? Think maybe we can get rid of Jonah? Maybe that's the issue going on here. So they cast lots. A lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Look at Jonah's response. They said, what kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? And from what people are you? Jonah, what work do you do? He doesn't say. Remember, he's resigned. He says, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. I'm not a prophet, but I'm a Hebrew. This terrified them. What have you done? Jonah's like, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. I've obviously messed up. They knew he was running away from the Lord because he already told them. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? And Jonah, pick me up and throw me overboard, guys, because I'm the problem. I've messed up. Pick me up and throw me overboard. I know that it's my fault that the great storm has come, because this is what happens. We run from God, and we try to, to do something in isolation. He tries to get to Tarshish, which is isolated. And this is how we view sin. We like to sin in isolation and we think the consequences stay isolated. They don't. You can sin in isolation, but the consequences will infect everybody on your boat. Your family, your workplace, your neighborhood, God's church. It impacts everyone. That's, that's the danger of sin. And God is saying, just come to me. Drop that stuff because it's impacting everyone. Everyone on the ship. Instead, the men did their best to row back because they didn't want to throw Jonah overboard. Verse 14, then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die. They're like, we're going to throw him overboard. But God, he asked for it. Don't blame us if he goes into the water and goes bye-bye. Like, that's not on us. Verse 15, they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. Can you imagine them just laughing? Oh my gosh, he was right. It was him all along. Threw him overboard, sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. 
You see, in, in, in a moment, what happened, these men who were worshiping other gods saw the power of God and then turned to God. This is, this is the story that God is trying to reveal to Jonah. If you would go to Nineveh, I can turn their lives around. But Jonah continues to run. In verse 17, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. What a story. The reluctant prophet who's running away from the mercy and the grace and the goodness of God, just like you and I can all run away from. But why would we run away from something that is so great? If there's something that we can learn from the story of Jonah, it's that we can learn that the mercy of God is boundless towards every single one of us. No matter what you do, God's mercy is still present and it's still there. Jonah is running. He gets thrown overboard. And what does the Lord do? He provides a huge fish. You're thinking, how is this a merciful act? Well, if he were just to go into the water, he would have drowned. But this word provided in the Hebrew means he assigned or appointed a fish. He said, Jonah, I assigned and appointed you and you ran. So I'll assign and appoint someone else to bring you back to me. I'll bring you back to the calling. So he provides this fish. And it's a sign of his undeserved, unlimited, unmerited mercy. This unmerited favor that comes from God. This is it. And, and we love that God's mercy is like that. We love that his mercy is boundless towards us. Because this means that our past does not have to define us or disqualify us. If you're taking notes, write down, what do I think disqualifies me? Is it that past addiction, that past relationship, that divorce, that previous job that you had, some of the words that you've spoken, the things that you've done that you're not proud of, the things that you've done that no one else knows? Do you think it disqualifies you from the calling that God has on you? No, because God is even greater. There is no sin, there is no wrong too great that God's mercy is not greater still. No matter what you've done, no matter what I've done, God says, I am merciful and my mercy is boundless towards you. You can't exhaust me of my mercy. I always have more. I never run out. God will never be bankrupt on mercy. But here's the tricky part about mercy. It's boundless towards me and my enemies. This is the part that we don't like. Look, my past doesn't disqualify me, but them, you don't know what they did. We tell other people that their past has disqualified them. That's not a God of mercy. That's a God who, who looks and says, you're kind of good, I'll give you some. You're kind of good and you're really bad. No, God's mercy is on everyone. This is why in, in verse 2 of Jonah... Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their wickedness has come up to me. We need to know about Nineveh. As I said, it's the hub of the Assyrian Empire. Uh, they were known for their kind of carefree living, this human self-exaltation, and an anti-God type of living. Uh, they, it was actually founded by a man named Nimrod in the Old Testament, whose name literally means rebellion. They were known for their violence and their atrocious acts. What would happen, they'd go into a city and when they would conquer that city, they would start to skin people alive and they would take their skin and put it on the wall as wallpaper. If you tried to go against them, what they would do is they cut your body in half and then skin one of your arms and leave you with another one to crawl back to your home and you would die along the way and they would just be walking after laughing. God has mercy, even for that city. Even for the people that I view in my life as Ninevites. Oh God, you don't know how bad they are. He goes, Marcus, do you know how bad you are? Go, yeah, but I'm not that bad. He says, Marcus, try again. God offers his mercy. These people thought they were invincible. I used to say this line often 
when I was running away from God. What's the worst that could happen? What's he going to do? Kill me? I thought I was invincible. God says, Marcus, I'm still going to offer you mercy. God wants to offer mercy for Nineveh. God wants to offer mercy for you because it's boundless towards all of us. And it's persistent. We don't get to decide who is worth saving. We don't get to say, you know what? Um, They're just not good enough for God's mercy. God said, arise and go to the great city of Nineveh. Jonah, because they need to hear about the mercy that I have for them. The very fact that God would call on a prophet to go speak to a city that was extremely wicked is merciful. Just so they could hear the message of God. And this is what we see in the story. If you have your Bibles, we're Jonah chapter 2. So while he's in the belly of the fish, he just starts kind of singing this, these hymns and these songs, starts writing some, and he starts proclaiming some of the things that was said in Exodus. He says, God, you are, you are powerful and you are gracious. You're abounding in love. And then verse 10, and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. What? Jonah's still alive after being inside of the fish. You're thinking, this, this can't happen. This is insane. It's, I know, it's, it's wild. It's wild. It's in the Bible. Um, you can think that it's not a real story. Jesus mentioned it in the Gospels. So, yeah, we also see Jonah in the book of 2 Kings. So Jonah's real. Um, how could this possibly happen? Well, 1891, there was a man named James Bartley who was on a fishing expedition, and he fell overboard. The fishermen thought that he was gone and lost forever. Later on, they saw a fish. Two days later, floating on top of the ocean because it was dead. They grabbed the fish. They cut the fish open. Who was inside? James Bartley. Still alive. 1891. You can Google it. Check it out. But as they kind of got him out of the fish, Uh, His skin was bleached white because of the acid inside of the fish stomach. Uh, And then also his hair was gone. So I like to think of Jonah that way. Like he's just like bleached white guy with with bald hair just going around and "Ah!" I'd be terrified. Uh, You're like, well, that was 1891. You know, we don't know if that was true. Well, it was true. It was uh, published. And and actually we saw it happen in November 2020. Uh, There was two ladies who were on a kayak, Julie McSorley and Liz Cottrell. Uh, They were on a kayak, went into a whale's mouth. What do you do? Well, uh, there was actually these three things that were told what to do if you ever get into the inside of a whale. This was put out by some like fishing magazine. Uh, They said, number one, stay calm. Nope. (laughs) No. No. Uh, Uh, Number two is focus on your breathing. No, not doing it. And number three, swim as far as you can away from the fish. Okay, which one is it? If I'm swimming, I'm not calm. If there is a fish coming at me, I'm like, ah, I'm going for it, right? But these ladies go into the, the mouth of the whale and they get out and they live to tell the story. Check it out, it's wild. God can do anything. If you can believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, that's pretty wild. Why could a fish not eat a man? Man catches a fish. That's a cool story. A fish catches a man. That's newsworthy. Okay. We're going to be in uh, Jonah chapter 3. We'll go on. Then the word came to Jonah a second time. If you have your Bibles, circle, highlight, underline. The word came a second time. I'm so thankful we serve a God who comes a second time. When I don't deserve it. He came a second time. Tells them the same thing. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I've given you. Jonah, at this point, he's like, okay, I've been eaten by a fish. Uh, my skin is all burny. I have no more hair. I'm not sure. I'm just adding that. But, you know, we don't know. Jonah obeys the word of the Lord because, of course, 
Now, Nineveh was a large city. It took three days to go through it. Verse 4, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, eight words in English, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. An eight-word message. In Hebrew, it's only five words. Some of you are like, Marcus, I wish you preached a five-word message. Sorry, not today, not today. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Verse 5, the Ninevites believed in God. This is the greatest revival that has ever happened in the history of humanity, ever. Historians would go on to write about the Ninevites saying yes to God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Everything was changed because one person is willing to share about the mercy of God with a group of people and everything changed. We read in the book of Jonah that God himself says there's 120,000 people in Nineveh who don't know their left hand from the right hand. Many theologians believe that God is speaking of the kids in Nineveh, just the kids. Do you think God cares? Do you think God cares about kids? Do you think God cares about cities that are headed toward a different direction than what God desires? Do you think God cares? Yes, he does. What happened in this moment would, would lead Nineveh to be people who would call out after God. And we'll read more of the story in just a moment. Would call out after God and everything was changed forever. Another hundred years in Nineveh were worshiping Jesus. This is why I love this in, in verse one. Chapter three, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Just like it came to Abraham a second time. Just like it came to Jacob when he lied a second time. Just like it came to Moses after he murdered someone a second time. Just like it came to Rahab a second time. Just like it came to David after he slept with someone who wasn't his wife and then had her husband killed. Just like it came to David a second time. And time and time again to Peter after he denied Jesus. Zacchaeus after he lied and stole from people. Matthew, Peter, Paul, whoever it may be, me and you, God's word still comes to us. And we still have to say, God, will I say yes? or will I keep running that's God's mercy and you're thinking well I mean thank goodness that his mercy came a second time because it's like God just kind of ignores the sin no another quote from the book Flash Theology says it's not that God makes light of our sin he just makes more of his mercy it never runs out God is far more willing to give mercy than humans are willing to ask for it my prayer is we would experience that kind of mercy. And reading this this past week, I started thinking of uh, one of the guys, my friend that heads here, that goes here at Newbreak. His name is Maddox. Uh, the, the word of the Lord came to him a second time and time and time and time again that he has just been able to share about God's mercy in his life. I wanted to welcome Maddox up to the platform. We want to hear a bit of your story. Let's give Maddox a hand. Come on up. Now, Maddox has shared uh, portions of his story with us before. He's part of our men's group that meets at my house on Thursdays. Um, Maddox, would you be willing to share a portion of your story, how God showed up to you a second time and a third time and fourth and fifth? Sixth, and seventh, eighth, ninth. Yes, ten. exactly. Perfect. Uh, well, first and foremost, I always just like to give a full disclaimer. Nothing that I share with you guys I take credit for, right? It comes from great men in my life who played key roles. So, uh, Pastor Mike. Yeah. Pastor Robert, Pastor Marcus, Pastor Jeremy, the great men in my life group, you know, I learned so much from these guys, and so all the credit goes to them, right? Uh, so, of course, I lived a decently tough life, and I say decently tough because 
there are plenty of people who've had a much tougher life than I have, right? But just like you, Pastor Marcus, I grew up in the streets. I started selling drugs when I was in middle school, so I was an entrepreneur. I uh, was the leader of my gang, knife fights, gun fights. Um, I almost died twice. And and one one specific scenario, I had a big street brawl where I hurt somebody really bad, and and I did six years in prison where I really got to know the Lord, which is great. Right. Right. And so I can talk to you guys for hours regarding all the uh, lessons of mercy in in that scenario there. And, you know, and how God intervened and, and it was just amazing, right? And, and some exciting stuff, right? It's like an action movie. But today I think I'm going to share something that happened most recently where I think the biggest impact of God's mercy in my life. Yeah. So uh, my beautiful wife and boss, Stephanie, we have been married for seven years now. And nice. funny story, Pastor Mike almost kind of forced us to get married. Yeah, yeah that's what he would do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, and nevertheless, though, Three years ago, Stephanie and I, we almost got divorced, right? Now, I, I don't laugh because it's funny. I laugh, though, because I didn't tell Stephanie I was going to do this message in front of you guys about us getting divorced, so she's going to kill me. So if you guys don't see me <laughs> next week, then that's the reason why, right? But in, at that time, I was an immature guy, carried a lot of resentment inside, and uh, so I had some infidelity issues, Right? And uh, Stephanie and I, we signed divorce papers, right? But we never filed them, but we did sign them. We were that close. And, and just so you guys know, Stephanie and I, none of us wanted to get divorced, right? She was doing it only because of the pain that I caused her. And I was doing it just out of pride and ego, right? If you want to get it done, fine, let's just, let's do it, right? But in our life group, Pastor Marcus, we talk about how God is backwards, right? Yeah, he does, yeah. He's backwards, but better, yeah. right? And so there were some lies that I told Stephanie, and I knew I needed to tell her the truth, but I wanted to do it my way, right? And, and let me tell you what Maddox's way looks like. Maddox's way is I'll only confess to the stuff that Stephanie knows about, right? And then I'll work really hard to win her back, right? And I will... Uh, later on, after she's fallen in love with me again, then I'll tell her the other stuff, right? And that way it's not so hard, right? But God didn't want that for me, yeah. right? So I prayed, I prayed, I fasted, brother, and, and I got really close to the Lord. And this is one of the two times that God has spoke to me in my life. And the words that he said was, white as snow. Maddox, I want you to be white as snow, Come on. right? And what he was telling me was that he wanted me to just come clean about everything, right? Just put it all on the table. And like Jonah, brother, I fought him on this, (laughs) right? I did not want to do it God's way, right? If I did it God's way, I knew I was going to be divorced, right? But long story short, Nasser, I did it, right? I did it the way God wanted it. We sat down at the table. I told her all the terrible things that I've done over the years, and it worked, she forgave me. Um, I worked really, really hard to, to win her back, right? I worked really, really hard to win her trust back, and it worked, brother. Come on, right? come on. But the kicker... Yeah, give God a hand. I mean, that's yes. pretty powerful. Well, here's the kicker, guys. Here's the kicker. I had the opportunity to come clean about everything, brother. I am white as snow, That's right? right. I walk around the house. I never have to worry about lying to her. All the hard work has been done already. And so now I get to be honest with her, 
right? Yeah. And so that's really just what, what the goal is. And, and I think the life of lesson of mercy is that, you know, if I would have done it my way, I would have never been this free, mm. right? And I'm free today because I did it the way God wanted to do. That's right. That's right. White as snow. Give Maddox a hand. Thank you so much, brother, for sharing. Thank you. It's always difficult hearing those stories in the middle of it. But once you get to that place where God speaks white as snow, you can be white as snow. This is, this is what it looks like. And it's this moment where his mercy is not just for us to be like, oh, that's cool. It's supposed to lead us back to him, back to repentance. This idea of repentance comes from this word metanoia. It literally means a change of mind and a change of action, change of direction. If God is here and I'm running away like Jonah, I'm going this way. I say, God, I repent. And I turn around and I walk back to God. This is what mercy should do. It's God calling us, come back to me. Come back to me. God wants us to come back to him so that we can be with him. This idea of mercy should transform everything. And that's what it did as we read in the book. Jonah chapter 3, we're going to read verse 6. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Uh, do you know what sackcloth is? It's cloth made to make like potato sacks. Literally, that's all it is. Uh, but it's like the sign of humility um, just before God and surrender and mourning. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. He says, we're all worshiping God. I want the dogs bowing and the cats meowing. Everyone is worshiping our Savior. That's what's happening here. But let no... But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. And then he says, who knows? God may relent with compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And look what happened. When God saw this, saw what they have done, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring the destruction he had threatened. God's mercy is present for every single one of us. In fact, in, in, in 2 Peter 3.9, it would say, God doesn't desire that anyone would perish, but that all would experience the love of Christ. This is what God wants for us, is to experience this mercy. Like the great author of, of one of the most famous hymns, uh, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. He would, he would go on, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. He got the mercy of God. You know, after Robert Robinson writes this hymn, he later goes on to be a pastor and pastors many people, leads revivals. And then in an instant, we're not sure why, he just walks away from God, throws everything away. And thinks that nothing is true about God. Everything that he believed once is false. Years after running from God, like many of us have, he finds himself in a stagecoach. It's about the 18th century. He's in a stagecoach sitting next to a woman and it's just silent. To break the silence, the woman starts to hum and the song is familiar. And then to let the awkwardness kind of dissipate, she starts to sing. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. And then she looks at him and says, sir, can I ask you a question? 
There's something about this part that just hits me. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Robert Robinson, sitting next to this woman, puts his head in his hands and is weeping, looks up at the woman and says, Ma'am, I'm the unhappy man that wrote that hymn. I would give anything today to feel what I felt once then. She walks through the song, opens her Bible, and leads Robert Robinson, the author of that hymn, back to Jesus. All because of the mercy of God. Robert Robinson then gave his life to Jesus and started doing the same thing, leading people to God. His life was changed forever because of one word, mercy. He responded to the mercy of God. What about you and me? How will we respond to God's mercy? Maybe, maybe you're done living in this cycle that the Israelites lived in, that all of us have lived in before, where, where we feel a call of God, and then we rebel, and then we go into the wilderness, and then we repent, and then God says, I welcome you back, and, and then he calls us again, but we rebel, and we go into the wilderness, and then we repent, and he says, I'm welcoming you back, and then we rebel, and we go through the cycle, and you're done running. I'm done running through the cycle. God, I give up. Maybe that's the best thing you can say, God, I surrender. I'm done running. Maybe today is your day, just like Robert Robinson when it was the moment that he realized, I need God's grace and his mercy. I need it today. Maybe like him, it's been years since you felt what you felt once. Maybe today, God, I need your mercy. Maybe that's what you need. Would you pray with me where you're at? God, we're in desperate need of your mercy. Every single one of us. Because just like the song states, we're prone to wonder. We are. We love just running away from the goodness of God because we think there's something better. But Lord God, for, for many of us in this room, we're done running. We need to be reminded of your mercy. That it's boundless. That it's unlimited. That whatever we expect of you, you do even greater. You beat our expectations every time. So God, that's what we need today. Is your mercy. We're done running. If you're in the room watching online on the outside venue in the patio, if, if, if you've been running from God and you're done, if you just want to come back to him and receive his mercy, that's what he has for you. He has love and mercy and grace and forgiveness and a call and a purpose that he wants to put on your life and call you to and bring you up out of the pit that you've been in. If you feel like you're in the dark, in the belly of the fish, God says, I want to call you out of that and call you to where I want you to go. Maybe it's time to stop running. If you've never received God's mercy, never said yes to Jesus, I want to make that opportunity available to all of us today. If you're watching online, you can just type, I'm done running. We just want to pray with you. In the room, if you would just lift your hand, we just all want to pray together because maybe you're done running. I see hands. I see hands. You can just lift your hand. I see your hands. I see your hands. I see your hands. We've been running. God, I'm done. Would you all just repeat after me? Just say, God, I'm done running. I've tried so hard and thought I got far but you kept chasing after me. So God, I thank you for your mercy. Teach me to receive your mercy today that I would be white as snow. 
and changed forever. Forgive me. Amen. That's what God wants to offer every single one of us. His mercy. And after we receive his mercy, maybe you're thinking, well, you know, I've had his mercy before. My prayer is we would be generous with God's mercy to everyone else. The people that we call Ninevites in our own mind that don't deserve the mercy of God, that we would say, God, would you be merciful? Forgive them. Bring them back to you. Let my life be changed forever. That he would be worthy of all of our worship and all all of our praise. And as we all stand together, would you stand with me? As we sing this song, let this be a declaration. Come thou fount of every blessing. Let my heart be changed forever. Let's sing together.